Everybody happy? Yes. All right, I'm happy too. Do you want to know why I'm happy this morning? Because my sins have been washed away. Oh my goodness. Man, if you lose the reality of the fact that you are clean before God, you're going to lose joy. And you want to know why else I'm happy? It's because God has given to me his Holy Spirit. Which is, as a matter of fact, he is everything I could ever want and ever imagine. It is all in the Holy Spirit. Because he personifies, literally makes real to me, the person of Jesus. So I want to talk to you today about Jesus. Okay? I just am finding more and more in my life, because of the greatness of his majesty, to emphasize anything else would be the biggest tragedy. I'm seeing that because he is so wonderful and he captivates all my attention, I'm only able to say what I see. A lot of people are looking at more than just him, so they've got more to say than just him. But if we look at only him, then he's the only thing to say. John the Baptist sees Jesus. And when he sees him, he says, behold the Lamb. I wonder how many of you will just freshly join with me today and say that this is your life's job to stare at the lamb and call everyone else to do the same. Herein lies our number one priority, whether you change tires, whether you preach crusades, whatever you do in your life, here is our number one priority, to stare at the Lamb of God, and then call everyone else to come and behold him. Oh, come, let us adore him. I'm really excited to talk to you a little bit today. I do have to tell you, there are resources in the back by Christ for All Nations. They are spiritually enriching. I encourage you to pick some of them up. I also have a couple of my books out there that are all about the same thing. Every one of my books has one message, Jesus. It just comes from different angles to show one more facet of this unlimited beauty of Jesus, the inexhaustibility of his person. This year, they asked me, one of my friends asked me, what's your New Year's resolution for 2019? I looked at him and I said, to exhaust the riches of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to be able to do it, but I'm going to shoot for it. I encourage you to make your life's goal to try to exhaust the riches of Jesus because you will find that he is brand new again and again and again and again. And your hunger for God is not about God depriving you and, oh, God, please give me something. It's literally like a little child opening a present on Christmas morning and then they're just hungry to open the next one. It's Jesus, oh, Jesus, and then Jesus again. You say, Eric, could it possibly be that he is this matchless and this wonderful? Yes, it is true. And many of you in this room, you know this and you experience this. And I'm going to talk about this today. But before we do this, would it be okay if we just do one of those kind of old Pentecostal things where they just kind of begin to just open up their mouths unto the Lord? And just, you know, just, whether you pray in tongues or not, just begin to, 
give glory and honor to Jesus. Father, I thank you. I give you glory and honor. Yes, just begin to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Yeah, now turn it into singing in the Spirit. Praise you. Yeah, come on, open your mouth. I worship you. I honor you. Just linger here for a minute. to you, O oh precious love of mine. 
Your lips, they drip with honey and your kisses like wine. <laughs> your voice is so tender and your eyes are always kind. Your touch is bliss. I leave everything else behind. I am yours, Lord, and you are mine. Everything in you I find. Everything in you I find. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus, the one and only. One means he stands alone. Only means there has never been another, nor will there ever be another. The longer that I walk with him, the more that I see there is no other message that God ever intended to be given to men other than his son. The last time you see God speaking out of the clouds, we see him doing this in the Old Testament with Moses, but in the New Testament we see God speaking from the sky with his holy voice. And the last command that comes from the sky out of the mouth of God to the earth is this. This is my son. Listen to him. God never took that commandment back. As a matter of fact, it is the whole of everything that he's looking for from us to give all attention to his son. To give him our attention is what it means to listen to him. And I feel as if it is this that keeps us, it's this that sustains us, it's this that causes us to flourish and it is lacking to do this that is the source of all the unnecessaries in our lives. I like to say unnecessaries because a lot of people have a lot of unnecessary things going on and it all goes back to not giving Jesus his proper place. In the book of John chapter one, verse 29, we see an incredible statement. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, there's no way for the sin to be dealt with without staring at the Lamb. And we begin to see that the only message that God intends is that we would behold Jesus. But we've turned it into behaving instead of beholding. And so you have a lot of people with behavior modification going on. I can't do this no more. I need to start doing this. And it's all based upon do's and don'ts. What I can do, what I can do. But God is trying to lift us higher to a beholding of the person of Jesus that literally solves all of the issues on the inside. A man's life lived in the earth can never transcend what his eyes are looking at. And so if our eyes are looking at problems and our eyes are looking at behavior, then this is the only thing you're gonna be able to 
see. But if you look at Jesus, he'll take you up with him to become like him. This is the situation that we're, we're looking at. So in Hebrews 1 verse 1, we see God also says that he has spoken, past tense, he has spoken in his son, meaning God has placed all the words that he's going to say, he's emptied them out into the person of Jesus Christ. So now the man, Christ Jesus, houses everything God is ever going to say anymore. It's all inside of his person. So you say, I, you know, I'm looking for God to speak to me about this. Look at Jesus. His words are hidden inside of him. The Bible says in John that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. This shows you the location of God speaking. This shows you the location of Jesus. It is in the presence of God. So you're looking for God to speak to you. A lot of us look for God to speak to us without giving attention to his presence. But it is attentiveness to his presence that pops your ears open to be able to hear him. Do you remember when Moses turns aside to look at the burning bush? God didn't call to him from the burning bush before he gave his attention. As a matter of fact, it says, when he turned aside to see, he gave his attention to the presence, and then God said. God didn't speak before the attentiveness, he spoke through the attentiveness. So if you want God to, to speak, you want that living voice, it's gonna come by giving attention to the presence of Jesus. As I said, there are so many unnecessaries that happen in our lives when other things gain our attention. And so what I'm feeling in this, this time is that God is wanting to take our emphasis off of anything else. In John chapter 3, verse 31, we see one of my favorite statements in the entirety of Scripture. I believe this is the greatest words any man could ever utter. And it's in 331 of John, it says, he who comes from above is above all. Do you see these words? He who comes from above is above all. This means he's above your works, he's above miracles, he's above gifts, he's above, he's above fighting and, and striving and trying and even your sorrow and even your difficulties. He is above everybody and everything. And because he is this way, when you look at him, you no longer see the other things. And I'm, I'm saying that this is how he authors your faith and this is how he brings it all the way to completion, by looking unto Jesus. And so when a man turns his attention to the person of Jesus, the, for the very first time, faith begins. And as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, God works in that man all the way to the completion at the end, still looking at Jesus. When our eyes leave the person of Jesus and latch onto anything else, we begin to suffer. It's because when other things have our attention, we are seeking to draw life from them and they're unable to give that life to us. Jesus alone is life. This is why he presents himself to us as bread. It's as if they were in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And they're making humanity. They're making man. And they say to each other, 
they're going to need a way to understand what we are for them. Therefore, let's make a principle called food for life. They have to eat in order to keep on living. And then when I come and I stand in front of them, I will say, I am food for you. Then they'll understand how they need us for life. You say, Eric, Jesus never said, I am food. That's what he means when he said, I am the bread which comes down, not came down. It does say came down, but it also says comes down in John 6. It's a perpetual coming of the Lord to you, a continuous feeding you with himself. Oh, great shepherd who feedeth thy flock with thyself. He is the thing celebrated at the meal and he is also the thing eaten at the meal. Here he is, everything that we need. I remember Francis de Sales one time wrote, we are more occupied with love than the beloved these days. You say, what does that mean? It means sometimes God's things can get in the way of God. Sometimes we latch on to the things around him and no longer look at him. Sometimes we are trying to get God to look at something, look at that, look at that, and no longer are we looking at God. We can't just look in his direction, we've got to look at him. An inch off today is a mile tomorrow. Staring at Jesus is the key, the root, the source. It is how we experience all the wonders of his person. Whenever I sit with someone and they want counsel of some kind, I ask them, well, when was the last time you sat with Jesus? When was the last time you came to the feet of the Lord and laid your entire life down at his feet? Oh, man, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'll go to church. I didn't ask you that. I said, when, do you, when was the last time you actually wept on his feet? Not because you, you needed to get out of something, but because he alone is worthy. Not, not because, you know, you got yourself in a mess and you're like, oh, please get me out of this. And if you get me out, of, no, it's because you recognize him to be the only and the one. And he is the only thing that matters in life. You know, Jesus says really cryptic statements, doesn't he? Like this, I am the way. <laughs> what does that even mean? How can a person be a way? Very, very cryptic. He's trying to tell us something. It's because he knew you and he knew me. And he knew that we would seek to find a way and forget him. So he says, I am the way. Otherwise, we'll just try to find, just show me what I got to do. Just show me which, which way to take. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you me. Because I don't want to separate my way from my person. As a matter of fact, you don't have a shot of walking in the way without the way himself. There's no other way for the way to be the way than the way the way was when it was the way. <laughs> you know? And so the problem we find is that we want to separate God's things from God because we can do those without having to be honest. You can cheat on God with stuff that God gave to you. And what begins to happen is God gets eclipsed 
You remember in Hosea, the people are continuing all of the religious rituals, all the sacrifices are still going on, all the worship service is happening, but God is saying from the heavens, you have forgotten me. How, how can you forget God in God's service? How can you forget God in the name of God? It means that God's things have more attention than God himself. And this is a major problem. As a matter of fact, Abraham, remember this story? Abraham has all of God's promises locked up inside of his son, Isaac. And Isaac isn't just wonderful to Abraham because God gave him to him, but Isaac represents all of Abraham's history with God. And everything that God wants to do in the earth through him is now inside of his son. And one day, I believe, God looked down from heaven to make his daily eye contact with Abraham. And when God looked down to look into the eyes of his friend, Abraham was not looking up at God. He was looking at his son. God's attention had been taken away from him and given to the promises of God and something very special to Abraham that God had given to him. You know what God does, remember? He says, listen, I'm not sharing the throne of your heart. Take your son to the mountain and kill him. You know what this sh shows me? It shows me that God would rather end all of the purposes through my life if he doesn't have my heart. But sometimes we put the purpose out here in front and we're just like, yep, yeah, purpose, 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 purpose. And we forget the person, person, person. We replace person with purpose. God wants our hearts. And do you remember what God says from the heavens when Abraham raises that knife to kill his son? Literally to remove his son from the throne of his heart and give God back his proper place. That place that is reserved for God and God alone. The throne of the heart. When he lifts up the knife to slay his son, God says, don't kill him. Then he says, now I know you fear me. There's the definition of the fear of the Lord. Some people want to say it's this. Some people want to say it's that. There's whole books written on the fear of the Lord, and they, they forget the very first time the fear of the Lord is mentioned in the entire Bible. And it is when Abraham raises a knife to remove substitutes from his heart so that God can have everything. You remember, what, you remember what Abraham, or what God says to Abraham? He says to him, now I know you fear me. You have not withheld from me. I guess if I'm saying anything today, I'm saying Jesus is not only the one and only, but he is the only one who deserves all of your affection. And don't withhold your affection from him. I said this in the last service, but it's so important. It's not only what he wants, it's what you need. As a matter of fact, some of us are suffering in our minds and in our hearts because we won't let our affection up to him. Because when you let your affection up to him, he can flow into you because he's getting from you the thing that he wants and there's nothing obstructing him flowing into you. There's a wonderful story of a little Catholic girl in Sunday school. And I use this story to talk about 
God shining into the life. This little girl is in Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher says, does anybody know what a saint is? And all the children look around, they're like, no, no. And this little girl is staring up at one of those old Catholic windows with a stained glass windows with St. Francis there with a bird on his shoulder or something. And then the little girl raises her hand and she says, oh, 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 I know. The Sunday school teacher says, what is it? She says, they're the ones that the sun shines through. And that's exactly what your life will be like when you allow no obstructions. The light will shine in and God will be unobstructed and you'll be able to see with clarity. A lot of people are confused because they're in the dark because something has come in between them and the shining face of the Son of God. Jesus said, I'm the truth. The reason why he said this is because he knew you and he knew me and he knew we'd seek truths and forget him who is the truth. He knew we'd cling to doctrine and forget the person. So he says, I am the truth. Even if your doctrine is correct, if there's no presence of the Lord, it's wrong. Oh, I don't, I don't understand. How can, it, how can it be wrong? Jesus himself alone is that truth. You take him out, it's no longer real. How many of you have ever, how many of you grew up in the church? Let me see your hands. How many of you did not? I grew up in the church and I was in Sunday school. I was in Wednesday night. I went to Christian school. I was sent to Christian camps. I was through and through connected to Christianity and I knew a lot about God but I did not know God and herein lies a big trap people slip into knowing about God and they think that they know God there's a major difference between about God and knowing God and I'll I'll say it to you like this one day in Luke 24 Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with his disciples do you remember this And he begins to expound to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And while he's doing this, they're hearing the text. They're hearing the actual truths. But then it says, and then they knew him. So you have a text and truths, and then you have a knowing of the Lord. But there's something that happens in between that connects the knowing about to knowing him. And it says their hearts burned within them. In other words, it's the experience of him that transforms the things you know about him to becoming something you know of him. It's the secret. It's the key to hear, to see, to experience the bliss and reality of who he is. The greatest tragedy is this, is that from childhood to old age, men have only known a synthetic God compounded of theology and logic, having no eyes to see him or hear him, no reality, no touch, no taste, no sense of reality of who he is. So herein lies the problem. No matter how religious or spiritual it is, without his person, it's dead empty. This is why Jesus stands and says, I am the life. Without me, there is no life. And a lot of times in charismatic circles, we love the power, we love the wisdom, we love the gifts, and all the while we just forget him. 
One of my friends called me the other day and we were talking and he said, we're always crying out for revival and we forget to tell Jesus that we love him. To give him all of our hearts is the one thing that he desires. It's the one thing that he wants. And I feel as if God has sent me here. I just said this already, but I feel God has sent me here just to freshly remind you and to cause it to come alive again and that your hearts will burn within you and you will sense the reality of his person and this book will no longer be just reading black and white on a page but you'll be looking at the Bible and then you slip into this reality where you don't know if you're looking at the Bible or the, or the Bible's looking at you. You stare at your scriptures and under the presence of the Spirit, it's like the pages are breathing. This book is the only book that demands the author be present when it's read. We need the living Christ. We need a reality of him every single day. If we don't know kisses, we'll never know love. What do you mean by kisses, Eric? I mean the direct contact of his spirit upon us. This is being kissed by the lips that drip with grace. What is grace when he kisses your heart? There's grace for you. The tender, loving, intimate love exchange with Jesus herein is the secret bliss of life. Oh, Lord. Your kiss can cure my evil and bring me to your bliss and give me you for whom I sigh, Jesus, my sweetness. The last thing I want to say, and then I'm going to just give an invitation for those that want to freshly come to the Lord. But when I get alone with the Lord, I, I'm jealous for him. How many know what I mean when I say jealous for him? Have you ever had a time in your life where you're so crowded, your time is so thin, you all of a sudden feel a burning jealousy to be with God? I have these things rise up on the inside of me and I wrote this down one day. I said, oh Lord, take me to the pinnacle above with you, my love, where all others fall off and my heart becomes soft and my mind is solved and my will dissolved. Cause me to see continually that I may always be captivated by your beauty and splendor. The ineffable renders my, my heart surrendered to you. So take me up, Lord, higher to be with you above my concerns and my plans and my needs, my preparations, desires and dreams, above callings and giftings and streams and thinking of all lower themes. Take me up, Lord, and let me see your face shine. Carry me to you, blind me to, so that I can become new where so few are lost, ecstatically fastened to you. Bind me here, confine me near and align me so I can hear, fearing no more, nor restricted by ceilings or floors to the depths and heights of your person take me lord and free me and make me believe thee blissfully oh to be yours only i pray i pray that that there would be something new that happens to you today I pray that something just begins brand new in your life. Like literally you have a fresh, like a gazelle coming out of the closet to face the world because you've been with God. I pray something so new happens in your life. People around you will see your face glowing and they'll say, what has happened to you? And you can say, I have seen the bridegroom. I pray something begins that changes your marriage. It changes your parenting, that changes your serving in your workplace, that changes your serving in the church. I pray there be a scene, 
of him that makes you brand new. You say, Eric, but I, I already spent time with the Lord. I've been with him in his presence. Well, then you know more than anybody else. It's a bottomless pit. And you can go lower and deeper and lower and deeper. I'm telling you, there's a twisted crown of thorns too small in size that was pressed into his brow and blood flowed in his eyes, blinding him to all but the prize. This is humility personified. The blood of God not realized. And though men love things that are deified, not a God who's crucified. But that's my God and he comes and he dies. What a love. There's no love like this. Oh, precious blood of him who loved me so. His hands are nailed and his head hangs low. His body is broken. His back is lashed open. The splintered cross is soaked in blood. Oh, what love and a love of me. And I see your glory when your feet upon the sea, but never such glory as when they're fastened to the tree. The breath of life, he breathes out his ghost with a dismayed angelic host and a naked God upon a post. He's mostly red. Come down, they said. Man's faith is dead, but God bled. He bled for sin to bring Adam back in. <laughs> I'm going to end right here. When I was in middle school, my mother bought me a Michael Jordan shirt, a white Michael Jordan shirt. It was my favorite shirt I ever had. And I walked through the hallways wanting everybody to see my Jordan shirt. You see this shirt? My mom just got me. And when lunchtime came, I was a little careless with my spaghetti. And I got stain all down the front of it. And you know what I did? I ran straight to the bathroom. Have you done this before? I took the shirt off, put some water on it. <laughs> you know what happened. It just got worse. So I figured soap clean stuff. I'll get some soap. So I got some soap and I put it on there and I scrubbed it and I scrubbed it and it just became a nightmare. And then I went back to my class and I no longer was wanting everybody to see my shirt. I actually was, you know, trying to cover my stain. Yeah, I'll stay over here. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'll see you. When I got home from school, my mom says to me, oh, Eric, how was your day? I said, oh, mom, it was terrible. You know, the Jordan shirt you got me? <laughs> Ruined. She says to me, oh, Eric, give me the shirt. And I said, oh, mom, you don't understand. I already put water on it, and I scrubbed it. And she says, Eric, give me the shirt. I said, mom, but it's ruined. Eric, <laughs> give to me your stained shirt. I gave it to her. I surrendered the shirt into my mother's hands. <laughs> and then she performed a miracle that only mothers really know how it's done. And she brought that stained shirt back to me, white as snow. My friends, I just preached the gospel to you. Some of you in this room have been careless. Careless with your mind. Careless with your heart. Careless with the things you've allowed around you, the things you've said. Some of you have been really careless in the way that you've been living. Just kind of half in and half out. And because of it, there's these stains that are just in your life. And maybe you've even tried to get them out. You've tried so hard. I'm going to stop this. I'm not going to do this anymore. And you've scrubbed really hard. And you found that it's not getting any better. Actually, it's only getting worse. But if you will surrender your stained mind, heart, and life into the hands of Jesus... He will perform a miracle that only he knows how it's really done. And you will find out that there is power, power 
wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And he will take that stained garment and it shall be white as snow. He will take away every stain. He will take away all the, the shame. He will come in like a knight in shining armor, armor and he will rescue you and pick you up out of the mire and clean you off himself and then give himself to you fresh. If I could, I'd literally put my arm around you and I would say, come freshly to Jesus. He will give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He will put peace that passes all understanding in your heart. He will lift you above the earth and you will walk on a higher plane than anybody else. And they will say, what has happened to you? And you will say, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. 